Hello friends, how's it going? My name's Matt Barr and you are listening to episode 128 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. Yes, it's the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Episode 128. You know what that means. It means it's not long now before I start hyping episode 150, which really will be here before we know it. But until then, plenty of episodes to go including this lovely chat with this week's guest, surfer, writer and podcaster Lauren Hill. Now, it's a small world, the old action sports podcast scene. So whenever anybody else starts one, you do tend to end up chatting quite quickly and also supporting each other's work because, you know, why wouldn't you? So through this podcaster's union connection, I've ended up getting to know Lauren and chatting to her and her partner Dave a little bit. Firstly, through Lauren's work on the Water People podcast, which I'm sure people that listen to this are familiar with because we do cover, particularly with my Type 2 show, do cover similar territory. And then also through Lauren's wider work, which is really what we talk about in this conversation, including the book she's just brought out with Gestalten, Gestalten, sorry, my German friends, if I've just butchered that. This book is called She Surf, The Rise of Female Surfing. I highly recommend it. It's beautifully put together and a considered piece of work which provides the most comprehensive and alternative view of modern and historical female surf culture out there, I would say. Now, I say alternative advisedly because as we discussed during our chat, surf history is a pretty male show. It's also pretty well worn insofar as there's one version that is generally accepted and told over and over again through the various sources. And as Lauren demonstrates in her book, it is far from the only story out there. So it's a considered, like I say, inclusive piece of work that is a great calling card for Lauren's general outlook on surfing and life. So whether through the book or the podcast, she's tackling big important themes which we need to discuss more and more in a really graceful accessible way and that's why I was so keen to get her on the show really. So we discussed all this as well as the idea that story is a choice, how the objectification of women in surf culture affects men as well as women, the importance of uh, play and a lot more weighty topics that don't really get enough of an airing in our little world. It's a good one, this. I really enjoyed it. Lauren's great. And uh, yeah, a big wide-ranging conversation that was right up my boulevard. I'll be back at the end for the usual wrap-up. But in the meantime, here's me and Lauren Hill. The story is a choice. Enjoy. Do you have a chance to check it out at all or are you, um, you i'm sure you know the sure you know the drill it's not it's not groundbreaking what i'm doing really <laughs> no it's great though i am um, i haven't been listening to many podcasts lately actually <laughs> yeah i go through phases as well sometimes yeah. i'm like super on it and then other times i kind of i kind of drop it a bit yeah same yeah just in waves huh yeah um but yeah, just uh, just a general chat, really. Um, cool. Like, I don't ever approach this with any kind of agenda. Just just have a conversation. Um, got a few things to, to chat about, but 
yeah let's just see how we go really okay. um yeah so tell me about this this autumn that you've been having then this it sounds from where i'm sitting it's quite envy inducing well i think the prospect of getting to live in australia at all is pretty envy inducing i i pretty much every day feel totally grateful to get to live here and call this place home and i was paddling out at one of our local points this morning and there were like you know two to four foot little peelers running down the line super clear water the um humpback migration is in full effect right now so big humpback pectoral fins were splashing out the back and yeah it's just been a really dreamy season of super consistent waves beautiful sand formation on the points and and just really lovely conditions we've been so blessed to have like a little haven of surfing despite all the chaos going on in the world right now yeah i was gonna say that must be a real relief after i mean obviously everyone's dealing with the covid situation but particularly where you are because you're on the east coast up in byron right for people yeah. that, that, that are listening that don't know yeah, um, we're, just obviously, out, we're just outside of byron on a little rural property yeah so i mean it, it looks amazing but yeah you've had it's been a tough year ecologically right for that for that part of the world so imagine this is a real nice relief right yeah it is we had you know some of the most devastating fires of all time in australia and then to follow that up in our region we actually had major flooding um, because the earth just was so dry and wasn't ready for water quite yet especially not in the <laughs> in the quantity that we got and now we're just having sort of a quite a wet winter but that's okay. It feels like things are balancing out and mellowing out compared to how we've yeah, have been going earlier in the year. Yeah. So where are you from originally? I'm from Florida. I'm from a little barrier island off the coast of Florida called Anastasia. Um, so I grew up surrounded by water and um, yeah, playing in tide pools and um, in the intercoastal waterway. Yeah, it was a, it was a sweet place to grow up. And how long have you been over on the East Coast then? Oh, um, 10 years, a decade. Yeah, I first actually oh, wow. first came, I first came to Australia in 2006 on a student exchange. I was doing an environmental science degree through my uni in Florida. And from high school, I was pretty much dead set on visiting Australia Um and so I came over and fell in love with the land and the surf, of course. And uh, yeah, have ended up um, having a family here and and falling more deeply in love with the land and the water here and getting to stay, which is just the hugest blessing. Yeah, yeah, it made it made a life there, right? Which which seems seems to be um, seems like you you guys have carved out a really lovely little little corner of the world for yourselves. For sure. I feel really grateful to get to have someone as a partner who um, is also a surf rat and prioritizes, you know, wind and swell. Not above everything, but above most things. Um, yeah. So that's really given me permission to do the same. I think we do that for each other and um, it makes life sweet and, and easier. Not having to explain the... Um, the beautiful addiction that we call wave riding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
yeah, it's quite funny to arrange this, wasn't it? Because we were both like, you know, you are, we've got waves. Might have to give it a couple of days. And then rarely I, I could say that as well. I was like, well, actually, I've got waves. So I might have to give it a, give it a couple of days. Um, Absolutely. But, but when, so when you, earlier you said you, you were always drawn to Australia. Um, was that because it was a good combination of your interests? Because obviously, you know, you, you're passionate about surfing. And also you mentioned the studies that you were doing uh, in environmental science, which from looking at your work seems to be, a, a, you know, a, a really consistent theme and, and lens through which you view the world and surf culture, if that's not too big a, a stretch, you know. So was, was that, um, that kind of part of what drew you to Australia, like the fact it was a combination of, of, of where you could explore those interests? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you nailed it. But at first, it was just an intuitive sort of pull. I was um, 20. And I didn't actually know very much about Australia besides like, having watched single fin yellow and been totally drawn to Bo Young section here in Byron and just wanting to surf waves here. Um, yeah, Byron has that effect, doesn't it? First time I went to Australia, it was like, right, I've got to go and got to go and check that place out. Yeah, and I just found, like, there's something about the colors here in particular, the particular shades of turquoisey blue and bright green of the headlands juxtaposed next to each other. I just feel, they just feel really therapeutic for me. And um, so I think that spoke to me first. And then as I grew into my environmental studies and wanting to find a way to blend surfing and feminism and environmentalism kind of came together naturally and um, I ended up finding my way back to Australia and yeah um, really falling into a community here where all of those I all of those ideas weren't quite as radically off-putting as maybe they were for <laughs> most of the people I was around in the south <laughs> right as are you talk, you're talking about surf culture specifically there are you as as in those ideas being seen as um unconventional let's put it even though in clearly the in the mainstream yeah even though clearly in the sorry in the south of of the states you mean yeah sure right okay because yeah yeah cause... yeah i mean i remember i i remember gosh just being made fun of for being a hippie and being like a hairy feminist and um yeah i grew up around I grew up in a pack of boys who surfed and loved Taylor Steele and Momentum Generation, and and I was a longboarder, <laughs> right. riding heavy single fins, and yeah. um, you know, with kind of left of center ideas, and that didn't make sense to a lot of my friends there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I guess that even riding those boards at that time would have been definitely a way of standing out, wouldn't it? You know. Yeah, and largely thanks to Thomas Campbell. I mean, I I just can't credit his films, especially um, The Seedling, enough with um, showing me what feminine surfing could look like because there weren't really that many women surfing around me at that point um, in the early 2000s. So, you know, to see Cassia and Belinda riding heavy single fin logs in such a deeply feminine way, but with, you know, extreme technical skill um yeah that was super inspiring and the ideas that you mentioned as being unconventional in the south 
um was that was was that you know obviously culturally where you where you come from by the sounds but then that's not the easiest thing it wasn't around that much you know those ideas that that so how did how did you start to develop that way of thinking about the world Mm. i mean like for so many of us surfing really gives us that insight into being a part of a world where we get to feel small we get to feel humble and we get to um witness other life forms and be in a very non-human space where we get to feel vulnerable and we get to interact with this spontaneous fluid environment i mean it's magical it's so magical and i I don't know how people can surf and not feel a responsibility to care for those places that gift us, you know, the joys, the highlights of our lives, really. What sort of baffles me about surfing all the time is that it can flip a totally mundane day into something extraordinary with one wave, you know. Um, Yeah, I had had that yesterday. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's it's funny because... Um, like I was explaining before we started recording and as my listeners will be no doubt bored of hearing like where <laughs> I surf it's, it's really shit basically um, but it's still it almost makes it more rewarding you know like yesterday I got one wave which was great really fun you know nothing to write home about but a proper wave and yeah it, it, it did change my day like completely and also be, it's almost because it's so incongruous like given how challenging it can be where I surf because it is windswell, there's no, you know, there's no lineup. It's just, it's just kind of chaos really. And, um, and yeah, it's, I think I totally understand what you're saying. Like that, that is a constantly rewarding thing about surfing, isn't it? You know, no matter totally. like where, whether it's the classic sort of, you know, beautiful picturesque wave that you surf to the best of your ability or the junkiest day in the world where a wave that you catch surprises you it can still give you that thing can't it you know absolutely and and i can totally relate because i grew up surfing totally shit waves too i mean florida is just a perfectly long straight closeout basically (laughs) and you just are lucky to find your corners and it makes you so grateful as a surfer when there are waves you are on it not like australians australians are so spoiled it's amazing how a slight like imperfection in wind direction is enough for an australian to say ah it'll be better in a couple days i'll just wait yeah i always love bringing aussies to where we surf i've got a couple of close friends who moved over here and they're always just a bit like are you fucking joking (laughs) (laughs) well well, yeah here's what it is (laughs) yeah Hmm. well it sounds like you right so did that um as you describe it did that influence the type of boards you were surfing then because you know let's be honest it's easier to and it's more fun to surf bigger boards like that in these kind of waves it's more it's more forgiving you can surf for me anyway you can surf a bit more freely on those types of boards unless you're like really you know super talented super proficient on a short board it's it's definitely more you know for me anyway it influences the type of board that i like to surf here which is generally long boards or you know high volume Mm. something that's a bit more flowy really you know absolutely i mean when you're dealing with a like a really long shallow continental shelf that slows down 
waves to like molasses and you're, you're surfing windswell anyway. It's like, why would you not ride a board with lots of foam that you just get your wave count up? It just made sense to ride longboards in Florida. Yeah, definitely. So the, uh, by the sounds of it, the, the culture of surfing and an awakening of, of, you know, your place in the natural world and, and, and then, you know, your interest in these other ideas begin to sort of coalesce in, in the way mm. that you want to view the world. Yeah. And really through university, I mean, I, I was surfing competitively, like doing some professional longboard contests through high school. And then I had to make this decision about whether to go on this big trip with my sponsor at the time. And I was going to have to drop out of high school. Um, but I decided not to, I decided to go to university and I figured that was sort of a clean breaking point from the idea of professional surfing. So I went to a small liberal arts college in Florida, um, which was just amazing, super small class sizes. And I had really beautiful relationships with my professors and they just really, one in particular, Dr. Tony Abbott, he just encouraged me to follow my curiosity and he validated my passion for wanting to culturally critique surfing just as a way of like trying to make it better. Like I wanted to look at how surfing could be seen as environmentally destructive from what our boards are made out of, our travel, in terms of gender. I just wanted to ask those questions and, and everyone's doing that now and people were doing it then too, but it felt novel for me at the time. And because I was encouraged to go down that route that gosh, really ended up shaping my career path thereafter. So important that um, mentor, uh, encouraging teacher figure, isn't it? Mm. You know, like I, I certainly can empathize with that. Like having people, you know, when you're at that formative stage and you try to work out your ideas and try to find a path, especially one that can relate to what you're interested in. Because as you describe, I think, I think it probably was pretty unusual at that point to try and combine those things and and you know to, to use surfing as a lens through which to explore those ideas and yeah like having that kind of you know that that mentor or you know inspirational figure that can say yeah that's you know that's that's totally valid is is really it's really important isn't it yeah it was huge for me i ended up publishing a thesis straight out of uh, my undergraduate degree and then yeah i don't know if you want me to keep going from here yeah. Should I keep going? Fire. Yeah. Yeah. This is um, this, this is this is the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I graduated in 2008, just amidst the global financial crisis, and I, I was young and super motivated, and I wanted to do environmental work. I wanted to make a difference in the world. So I applied for all of these jobs in like D.C. and New York and San Francisco, and I like cut my hair short and bought pencil skirts and collared shirts and I was going to go to work in the city for a big environmental NGO and do what I had been taught to think of as important work. Sure. Um, but there were no jobs. There were no jobs then for someone fresh out of university. So I had um, a fair amount of student loan debt to pay back. So I just had to get menial jobs like 
waiting table. Well, I actually only lasted two days waiting tables because it was way too difficult for me. I did not suit my personality type didn't suit it at all. But I was like a deckhand on a, at a marina and just all kinds of random jobs to pay off my student loans. And because of that, I had this intellectual freedom because I was doing menial work to to start writing and to start blogging. And I just started a blog and started bringing, you know, those ideas together in written form. And then from there, I started working with brands again and somehow found my way back into sponsored surfing, which is was a total surprise to me. That's interesting. So you deviated from because you mentioned that you competed and stuff. So it's almost like just to just to try and join the dots a little bit. So I guess, yeah, growing up in Florida, you've got that choice if you want to pursue a professional surfing career of like that classic sort of contest route. Sure. And then but but you found a way of exploring these ideas and then bringing it back into a, a you know, a way of having that career path that that combined the things you were more interested in by taking a different route by sounds of it. Mm, yeah, I kind of carved out a little niche for myself. I've worked with all three of the big sort of surf brands and for with Billabong for the longest of those and yeah, for a while there I was traveling and storytelling and trying to dip into local environmental work on any travels and um, writing and making films about surfing and women surfing in particular along the way and that was sort of that was sort of my job for a while great yeah because you've obviously I do full show notes for these episodes so I'll I'll link to some of these projects that you're talking about Um, and and this it was always this lens I keep using this this phrase just because it's convenient really but you know like to try and explore these social and environmental issues and you used the the phrase earlier to try and change surfing and one of the things I will say that I've noticed about your work is you're very very inclusive you know you're really Mm. careful not to because it'd be quite easy I think and it can be quite easy to sort of point out the obvious which is how white and male traditional well modern I'm going to say modern not traditional surf culture is it'd be quite it'd be quite it'd be quite easy to to kind of attack that really but you're really your your work is inclusive you know I really noticed that in the book Mm. and on your podcast as well like you know it's and that that I think that's a really smart move because you know it doesn't but you did use the phrase like to change it earlier as if that was a goal so I guess my question is was that always um the the strategy that you that you adhered to to try and almost like change it from the inside as it were (laughs) I guess so I mean probably the first goal selfishly was to have a good time and get good waves (laughs) I mean that's that's allowed (laughs) that's always always the goal (laughs) yeah um I don't want to seem like a martyr or anything I'm definitely not I'm fully I don't don't think anyone's gonna watch your films and and, and I won't worry about that (laughs) there's clearly been a lot of good waves over the years and a lot of good trips yeah you know what I mean though like it's just it's interesting hearing you phrase it like that I guess I mean like I said earlier I guess growing up surrounded by all boys being the only girl in my little boy pack at a certain point 
you know, when we were 14 or 15, I remember going to the Surf Expo, which is like the big gathering of all the surf industry brands um, and being there and seeing the reef Brazil models and the sort of half naked women who were employed to go around and hand out stickers for all the brands. And I just remember feeling, I don't really belong here. Like if I'm, there's a certain role that women are expected to play in surf culture and I'm not fitting into that. So I'm like, I just, I felt, I felt othered. I felt excluded from a place that I really wanted to belong to, to a, a sport and a culture that I loved that helped raise me. And, um, and so I guess that, that feeling of otheredness just gave me empathy for other people who maybe, I mean, I look like, like I like fit the, fit the stereotype to a T. I've got blonde hair and blue eyes and I still felt like I didn't belong in sure. this culture. So I, I, it's made me deeply empathetic for other people who don't get to see people who look like them, who, um, you know, who have lifestyles like they do or come from cultures or ethnicities um, who aren't represented in surf culture. So, yeah, I've always wanted to just help dilate representations of what surfers look like in general. And when you Sorry. when you when you're faced with that classic objectification you know like about like a depiction of female surfing which is essentially about the male gaze you know it's about it's about like objectifying women for men i think we can pretty clearly say that you know and 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 you use the word othering which i think is really pertinent because it's denied as well isn't it that's the thing you know whenever you get these it, like incidents so and there's been a couple of famous ones over the years i'm thinking of the steph gilmore kind of roxy film you know which obviously was probably the thing that got you know even even then when there's really like you know like i'm thinking of cory schumacher who probably cr critiqued it the most um you know in, in what i just felt was a completely indisputable way you know like and and it was still denied you know it was still like no, that's not what's happening here, and and you're wrong if you think that. Like, mm. and so so how how do you how do you try and find a way of being positive in the face of of that? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess I'm just interested in finding the middle ground and making sure everyone has a legitimate choice, especially women and girls. Like, and and I mean men and boys too. I think representations of women impact boys and men maybe not exactly equally but definitely deeply and profoundly um oh, in different i mean i ways. think that's again inarguable isn't it you know because it because it influences as much the way that men see and then subsequently treat women doesn't it you know especially Absolutely. in something as as powerful as surf culture mm. for, for a young I, boy you know yeah i've i've seen the way masculinity puts boys and men into boxes too um, unfairly and to completely, you know, un unattainable expectations. Um, and so I guess what I'm interested in is um, dancing those lines between how do we, how do we acknowledge the inherent sensuality of surfing, of women surfing without 
tipping into um, objectification and and it takes time to find that middle ground and it's it's different for every surfer for every um yeah for everybody and then how do we do it without neutering it too you know i'm i'm really interested in that middle ground and and just having the conversations i think just asking the questions is the best most of us can do just keep asking like is that too far is that not far enough do you, do you see a change do you, do you feel like the because you i think if even if we talk about the the period where you know that we're discussing where you mentioned you know growing up in that very male surf environment to now mm. and you said like at the time you felt like it was probably quite unusual and conventional however you want to phrase it to even think that way to now just go, mm. i'm guessing it's probably like a couple of decades or whatever like is that do you, are you seeing a change you seeing a yeah. receptiveness to 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 thinking of of the culture in a different way as we're talking about oh yeah i think it's changed so much um surf culture in so many ways has expanded in terms of um design like openness to to different kinds of boards you know we had a period there where everything was about the stark white thruster even even surfers in florida were riding them for waves that they were completely inappropriate for um yeah and that it was leads a huge to the disservice least to the worst style in board yeah. sports history as well doesn't it like the wide need mm. when you know the pump <laughs> so, so bad to think so of much an, work hard to, it's just so hard much to work. think of an uglier uglier sight really in, yeah. in any in any any but yeah you're right i mean that was the kind of an example of it isn't it you know the way it was mm. all a narrowing of 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 context if you like about well this is what it is you know mm. so yeah you look at it in that in that way that that's now i mean it is clearly much broader isn't it yeah it's changed so much and the way that environmentalism has really brought been brought into the definitions of what it means to a surfer to what it means to be a surfer all around the world that's changed radically in the last two decades what hasn't changed or maybe what i see as what's maybe even gone backwards is the way that some of the endemic women's surf brands are moving away from ability focused uh surf marketing and back toward mo using models again and then social media has made things super complicated too because professional women surfers through the last 10 years we're kind of presented with this um this model of how to make money it's like the more you get your gear off <laughs> the more you're paid <laughs> kind of like that's the equation um yeah. and lots of women are exploiting that on social media and making a really good living um and there are quite a few women who aren't going that route and maybe who aren't making as much money and that's okay too but it's still it that's still a big part of the conversation for me is to ask are they be is it a legitimate choice when all when nudity and sexuality are incentivized above all else as an athlete yeah because the argument's always i guess about like how much you're in control of that image and how much it is a symptom of this sort of patriarchal structure isn't it really which is a classic i you know i guess discussion in feminism generally isn't it in any in any whatever 
part of the world you're discussing whatever cultural area you're discussing you know it's not it's not limited to surfing let's put it that way no you know? no yeah surfing's just a microcosm of what's going on yeah broader so, and and, and what what are your views on that then that kind of conundrum if you like oh gosh um i i'm just always i'm just always really mindful to never critique surfers but to critique the system yeah because most of the surfers are young women trying to make a living doing the thing that they love and they're going to do it by any means possible and that's totally fine what needs yeah. to change is the way that those pathways have been institutionalized and and narrowed and you know i think you know for all that the, the wsl gets critiqued i think that their step to um provide equal pay for men and women um was a big one it's a big symbolic one and, yeah, and i was really they proud of that they deserve credit for that for sure. Yeah. Definitely. I think the the backstory, I think they actually their hand was forced to do that. Yeah. Have you I, read I did, have you read into well, some I, of the big I, waves? I spoke to I spoke to Corey um for the podcast and I've spoke to Sa- Sachi Cunningham um for the show as well. I'm not sure if you know Sachi, she's a photographer from San yeah. Francisco. Yeah, so yeah, I I I know a bit about that yeah the fact that there was a lot of pressure basically and a lot of really smart campaigning as well i think to to get there you know not again not just attacking in in broad strokes actually looking at the subtleties involved and 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 using sort of messaging to to get that outcome uh, you know i, I mentioned that because again i think there's a parallel with the way that you approach this as well with the work that you do as i mentioned earlier so yeah, I mean, it didn't just happen in a vacuum that did it. I guess that's the point, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, I don't know, I'm just interested in those women getting credit for changing the face of our sport, for changing the way yeah. young boys and young girls view men and women um, surfers. Because as, I, as I've grown up within surfing, women's surfing has always pretty much been portrayed in a comparative lens like the biggest yeah. compliment you could get as a girl surfer growing up is you surf like a guy yeah and it's the classic sort of prize money argument isn't it you know whether it's tennis surfing performance related argument like well you're not worth the money because you're not as good essentially mm. and that's another way why that decision deserves credit because you know that is that is just a in every sport in the world that is the the stick that's used to beat women's performance with isn't it so the fact that the fact that surfing actually did break that is mm. and 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 basically said, well it isn't necessarily about that because that's the message that that sends isn't it you know it's not a like for like comparison and that it shouldn't be judged upon that you know th- there are different ways to judge this basically which is an yeah. important an important step i think isn't it you know mm. i'm i mean and just to allude to the book a little bit I, and maybe this is an uncommon or an unpopular belief, but I kind of feel like women's surfing is different than men's surfing. And I'm okay with that. Like, I don't think they have to be compared as equals. I think they have different strengths and weaknesses, like a, like a male ballerina and a female ballerina, you know, like flexibility is different. And um, we have different physical forms that are capable of different ranges of motion and 
and different strengths. And, um, and I'm really interested in seeing where women's surfing can go when it isn't only trying to aspire to the way men do it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the book and obviously we should, we should, don't worry, I was going to bring it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's okay if you didn't, that would be fun. No, no, the book is great. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that I really noticed about the book is, and I'm, you know, you, the stories that you choose speak to that, you know, this, like, because you, you've chosen such a broad cross section of, of female surfing and, and yeah, there's a couple of performance themes in there. But it's it's really not about, you know, so I guess the question is, is that that was intentional, I guess, to try and convey as many different female surf stories as possible that didn't come under this traditional, you know, umbrella by which it's usually sort of talked about. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, technical skill was a major um was majorly important for me because women's surfing has also been so prone to lifestyleization, you know, just like yeah. blue water and palm trees and posing on beaches. I did that for years <laughs> and it's fine, but it doesn't really tell the story of, you know, the progress of women's surfing. Um, so technicality was definitely in there and inclusion was, yeah, like you said, the other major priority. Um, just trying to, and we spoke about this a little bit already, dilate the meaning of what it means to be a, a water woman right now, what it looks like, what, you know, and just making sure that different shades and shapes and ability levels are represented because endemic surf media right now is struggling first and has very little funding. But even still, when I go on to surfermag.com or surfline it's still kind of rare to see women included in those spaces and i don't really understand why and so i wanted to create this book as a touchstone for women and hopefully men and girls and hopefully boys to to be able to look and see oh like a woman who surfs doesn't just look hairless and tanned and um <laughs> you know blonde and blue-eyed yeah. she can yeah, look yeah, yeah. like all different kinds of things and and be from many many bizarrely different countries and cultures from around the world yeah there's a lot of different stories out there that aren't covered by traditional depictions of female surfing basically and i think one of the points you make that is really important i often just think because the the, the industry is so white and male and also young like you know I just think it's it's off their radar a lot of the time, and they yeah. and they wouldn't even know how to handle it or address it, even if if they were aware of it. You know, and yeah. I think I'm not ex I'm not excusing it at all. No, and, but and I think I th that's important. That's important. It's like I don't think about it in terms of conspiracy or anything. No, exactly. I think, I I, yeah. I agree. I agree. I think I think it's just almost like not on the radar and then even when it does come on the radar it's just out of the comfort zone it's just easier to yeah. to cover the same shit really and what is interesting about that is like you say it's not like the surf media is thriving right now you mm. know it isn't it isn't there's a couple of things that are probably doing quite well but the same messaging doesn't appear to be leading to huge growth in the industry yeah. so it is an interesting question 
like why there isn't more diverse voices because there's clearly an appetite for it and and it probably would be more reflective of the rally and also be healthier for the culture on on not only the level we're talking about but to be honest on a financial level really Mm. which is which is an equally valid which is an equally valid motivator i think in in this in this sort of conversation Um, yeah absolutely i i watched the um so in the late 90s early 2000s well early 2000s more so when hollywood's version of blue crush came out there was this huge surge of support for women surfing like in contests and there were tons of different women's surf magazines um and i got to benefit from that as a young girl who could rip out like 20 pictures of women surfing from magazines and put them on my wall and aspire to levels of surfing that I wasn't able to you know to um to reach at that point and um and then as the economy started to wither a bit the support for women surfing really got scrapped and surfing media just refused to integrate that's what it felt like but but it was always like why would you not want to expand your market why would you neglect what's what was probably then 15 percent of the surf population and now maybe 20 maybe 30 percent of the surf population in the u.s why would you not want to speak to those people and sell more magazines you know it just yeah it's but it's, it is actually baffling really when yeah because it because it is like like we say it's not like it's not like this industry's coming from this position of rude health is it you know it's that <laughs> I, I think in any any of these cultures apart from skate maybe but certainly snowboarding and surfing could certainly do with an injection of new people <laughs> you know like to try and to try and well there's gonna be a lot of people disagreeing with that statement when it comes to surfing on a, on a particular level but you know yeah. on on the when we are talking about media and industry it just seems like it is in their interest to, to do it which is what makes it all the more baffling really mm. and yeah and what i what's so beautiful about surfing culture compared to skate or snow culture is that we have this ancient lineage that is deeply rooted in inclusivity in yeah well one of the lines that really stood out in the book is when you said um, our primarily white Western masculine middle-class incarnation of surfing culture is the exception of history, not the rule. Mm. And, you know, like we're at the thin end of this. It It's narrow now, but that is historic. That is, that is atypical historically, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. We, um, what I loved about one of the things that I loved about writing the book was getting to touch base again with, all the different cultures that have had their own incarnations of of surfing, you know, like dynastic China. We're talking about a more than thousand year old surfing culture that had nothing to do with Polynesia at all. They had their completely independent surfing culture and history. And then the same can be said for South America. Um, and so, and really, I think any beach around the world, whether they've seen surfing in the mainstream or not, it's just surfing, riding waves is a natural act, I think. I mean, it was just an act of efficiency, probably, to start, you know, catching waves on on fishing boats. And then for kids to just be drawn into the ocean to play, like that's true of any any beach anywhere in the world. 
Yeah, it looks like you had a lot of fun coming up with the stories in the book. Like really, really, really does come across, you know, like the, because what, what a brilliant privilege to be able to represent those different stories like that. And um, yeah, like I've been, you know, the word, the, the word that did spring to mind is inclusive and, you know, consensus really, like to try and, you make the point about the male history of surfing, but it's not, it's not, it's not in an exclusive way. You know, it's, 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 it's a way of saying, yeah, fine, but l let's think about this sort of reality, which is just not been talked about really. And yeah, some amazing stories in there, which, which must've been really, really fun to uncover. Oh, yeah. It's been, I mean, it's, it's kind of the culmination of the last 10 years of traveling and meeting women all over the world, um, in the water and learning about their lives and being so inspired by the different ways they, um, they allow surfing to shape them and they're shaping surfing in their own communities. Um, so yeah, it's been a huge privilege to really be entrusted with those stories and, you know, collating them and sharing them in one sort of, um, book that is trying to shift the narrative a little bit. Was it, um, it must have also been satisfying on a creative level, I guess, because as you mentioned earlier, you've been exploring a lot of these ideas through your, your blog and your write, writing anyway for a long time. So, you know, what a great way of having a big physical culmination of all that work to, to put into something like this. Yeah, um, I'm kind of an analog person to start with. I like the feeling of holding the weight of a book and the smell and being able to read without the glare of a screen. So yeah, to have something physical to show for it um, feels really good. It was just a huge dream of mine to put a book together. And this book in particular is something that I've tried to write for many years and I've pitched to different surf entities um, and I've always kind of gotten knocked back, but um, it, was, it felt really good to find um, a publisher. Well, they actually reached out to me, just Dalton in Europe, who really believed in um, in the way that I saw women surfing as this global community of very diverse, creative, technical athletes and artists. Um, and and they let me sort of run with that angle, which hasn't been the case. There are other women surfing books, and they're they're different than that yeah and also there's a lot of surfing history books mm. and that's that history is you know it's fairly well told isn't it mm. uh, i i really like the chapters about polynesian history because it was just different from the stuff you normally read frankly mm. you know there's that traditional and then this happened and then this happened and it's it's male you know it's a male story um so yeah there are there are characters that are alluded to but it's good you obviously really give platforms to female pioneers whose stories perhaps aren't that well known compared to others which is i just really enjoyed reading that because you know it is pretty well trod narrative isn't it the kind of history of surfing really yeah my um my partner dave dave rastovich he's just an absolute champion of women surfing and he, we've traveled together for many years surfing and interviewing people and now interviewing folks for our own podcast and um he always says you know it's crazy that we 
surfing media recycles the same stories from the same white dudes over and over again, you know, the Jerry Lopez's and the Aki's and, um, you know, the guys that we all know and admire and rightfully so, of course. But it's like there are all of these incredible stories that haven't been told that are just fascinating and what are our journalists in surf media doing if they're not asking questions about how to uncover new stories well i think it's really interesting because i've thought about this a lot actually with my own show and platform recently because i kind of realized that i was also guilty of propagating the same thing even by the guests that i was choosing you know you can and and i guess my point is that history those stories that you tell they're choices mm. they're not they're not stone tablets that that are like on the hill to be adhered to they are choices and that is the same for history history you know which is primarily a white story of colonialism and you know whatever and it's the same in surfing it's the same mm. in anything you know and it, it it isn't it isn't obligatory to tell that same story you know mm. there are and i've i've just found that i've been having a lot of conversations on this podcast in the last couple of weeks just around that and yeah kind of even though i think i've tried to probably be quite diverse and to give different stories and opinions i kind of realized that still kind of taking the easy road a lot of the time you know still kind of choosing those so yeah, it's just interesting. It's worth remembering. It's a choice. Well, we all it's... do. Like we all do. We fall into the areas where we're comfortable speaking, especially as a podcast host, at, you know, from a place of expertise. And it's it's uncomfortable to grow. I mean, as we're all finding with the Black Lives Matter movement, we're all having to be stretched into places of discomfort to to recognize our inherent biases and and that's hard and it's humbling, um, but it's so healthy and it feels good when we can move through some of, some of those, you know, some of those. Yeah, it's a, it's a, and it's worth remembering, it's a conscious thing that like that it's a choice that you make. Mm. And yeah, and, that, and that, again, you know, just to bring it back to the book, that's why I just thought it was. And as you as you as Dave obviously said, the point you made, this is a different choice about those stories and it's it was refreshing to see definitely mm. um one of the other questions i had for you a word that you use a lot you've used it a lot in this conversation and use it a lot in the book is play like mm. the concept of play um so obviously something you know we can all recognize that in surfing and all these all these activities that we that we all love you know that they're inherently playful i mean i was lucky enough to go snowboarding in lebanon once and mm. the locals didn't really know what I mean, you know, they did know what it was. I'm not going to say that, but they they called it place playing snowboarding, which I always <laughs> thought was brilliant. They were always they would say to us like, "You're going to go and play snowboarding," as in you <laughs> as it as in you would refer to like playing football or cricket or something. Mm. And um, I, yeah, it's, it was is that is that like a conscious decision to kind of remind through through the way you communicate it that it is inherently a playful act that we all share. Yeah, definitely. For two different reasons, I guess. The first is a reminder that surfing, like sometimes we take surfing too seriously. You know, we yeah. get angry in right. the lineup and we splash water or 
we come in bummed after doing something that is just pure privilege, like to get to go and spend 10 minutes, an hour, two hours in the water, frolicking around in water is just an incredible privilege and a delight if we can let go of some of the seriousness of that. Um, And then secondarily is like exactly the opposite. (laughs) Exactly the opposite is that play is an evolutionary tactic that has made our species what it is to be able to to play the the characteristic of neoteny or the retention of childlike characteristics is what has kept us evolving and adapting and has made us um, yet yeah, one of the most biologically successful species to have existed on the planet because play gets us out of our minds and into our bodies and allows for yeah, spontaneity and new things to happen and new ideas to arrive. Um, and surfing can be part of that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so worth remembering, especially like you say, when you when you can become so caught up in the ego conversation with yourself as well. You know, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting what I want out of it for this reason, or you know, and you turn it into something very very different from that you know and like you say there's a cultural angle to that as well because a big part of the conversation is territorial it promotes that ego side of it doesn't it It promotes that kind of almost like it's a fight it's a battle you know you're going into battle especially when you go somewhere new yeah yeah Um, well that sorry can be quite easy to forget that essential truth which is it's supposed to be a laugh <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be fun it's actually absurd like we're sliding across lumps of water sideways yeah. on a piece of foam like it's silly it's really silly <laughs> yeah yeah i always think that whenever i again especially where i surf it's so bad and when, <laughs> but people get so aggressive about it and i was just a bit like look look where we are <laughs> Mm. you know i do exactly the same thing at but at really perfect point breaks here when it's pumping like i just feel like look at where we are like how how can you be angry in this setting with all of this to to get to bask in like uh, how can you have anything but gratitude not that i don't get angry in crowded lineups i do sometimes too but (laughs) i try to come back to that like we're lucky we're like the most privileged of the most privileged people on the planet to get to have the gift of riding waves to come back to all the time yeah yeah i would agree with that Uh, and you mentioned the podcast obviously so another avenue through which you can explore these ideas so how are you finding that uh i am i just love asking questions i um had a cat and a dog when I was growing up, when I was probably like seven or eight, and my cat's name was what, and my dog's name was why. Literally, the most <laughs> ridiculous pet names ever, but I just feel Brilliant. like that speaks to, like, That's, I don't know, questions were just always in me. And so to be great. able to, <laughs> to have an avenue for question asking and, you know, being allowed to just barrage people with as many questions as I could come up with is, is fun and satisfying. And then 
also to get to practice deep listening, you know, to be able to feel into other people's experiences and, and stories. Our podcast, the Water People podcast, is really about storytelling, um, raw and authentic and trying to encourage people to go into places that mainstream surf media doesn't necessarily have the space or the time or the length to go into. Um, so we try to focus on that. And that's, I mean, there's just nothing better than getting to sit and listen to someone go into their lived experience in a, in a really vulnerable way. It is captivating. It's a, it's a great medium for it, definitely. And, and you can tell, you know, these choices that you've been making with who you've been speaking to, uh, you know, are also given this alternative narrative and view, which I think is, as we're saying, you know, there's this huge appetite for it, I think, that's probably, you know, I think there's, it's no coincidence that podcasts are having a moment right now because, you know, they, they can, they can, they can kind of scratch that itch in a different way, can't they, you know? Yeah, and I love that they leave space for imagination too, you know, in a way that visuals can be overwhelming to you know, our visual senses podcasts let you imagine and they keep, keep that space for imagination. And I, that's what I really enjoy about, you know, listening to podcasts myself. Yeah. So it's water people and the book is, uh, I've got it right here. She surfed the rise of female surfing. So like I say, I will put links in the show notes so that people can check out your work. Um, do you guys have a website or anything? Is, uh, is there anywhere yeah. like it's all, all collected? Yeah, waterpeoplepodcast.com. Great. Hey, Lauren, that was really great. Thank you. Aww. Thanks so much for doing it. Fi- glad we finally sorted out our surf schedules and uh, time difference to get it done. <laughs> I'm so stoked for you that you got to get surf. I was happy to postpone for that. That's the priority for sure. Thanks for having yeah. me on and thanks for your work. And um, yeah. Hopefully you get to share some water time someday. Yeah, defo. Well, when I spoke to Dave, he was like, oh, if you're in Byron, it's like, well, I'm going to hold you to that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, come on down. So there you go. That was me and Lauren discussing her new book, She Surf, her podcast, Water People, and her fascinating career of ideas in the surf industry. As ever, you can find full show notes over at www.wearelookingsideways.com. If you want to find out more about some of the topics we discussed in this episode, you can find Water People at all the usual podcast outlets. And I do really urge you to check out She Surf. If nothing else, like I keep saying, it's really beautifully put together. And there's just a lot of different voices and perspectives in there that you won't have really found as we chatted about in the conversation through wider surf media. And there's also some names that you will know. So, yeah, it's a good one head over to the website www.wearelookingsideways.com to find out more about that and all the links. Speaking of books, segue alert. Thought it was about time for an update on the book project myself and Owen Tozer have been working on. Now, as mentioned over the last few months, we have been steadily working on this book project since we got back from California last year. We did have funding for it, which fell through once COVID kicked in. So we've decided finally to just use Kickstarter for it which I did talk about the other week, but I'm going to be talking about it a lot over the next few months, I would imagine. So we're going to try for an August launch. Um, Owen is pretty much waiting for me, really, because he's kind of done most of his bit. And I'm a lot busier than him. 
So um, I've kind of got July penciled in for this one. It's going to mean a few early starts for me, but that's all good. I will be hyping this shite out of it on here and through my various channels. But yeah, basically, if, we're going to, if it's going to happen, we're going to need people to get behind it. Um, for me, it's really just a way of exploring the themes that came up from California and also just showcasing Owen's work because he'll never do it himself and because his work's brilliant and deserves a bigger platform. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with this. Um, we do have contributions. Jamie Brissick has contributed an essay. I've written a little essay. Cersei Wallace is going to be writing something and Craig Peterson is going to be writing something. Those were all guests from our California trip and they've all very kindly agreed to get behind the project. So uh, yeah, we're pretty stoked about this one. Should be good. Speaking of extracurricular activities that literally nobody else has asked for, I've been chatting to a good friend of mine about a Looking Sideways festival concept. At the moment, we've been chatting about some kind of do lectures times meltdown festival scenario. You know, nothing massive, but exhibitions, guest speakers, an exchange of ideas in a nice place, live podcasts, that type of thing. There's a lot of this type of thing around at the minute. You know, I've already just mentioned the do lectures, which is probably the most well known. There's loads of retreats out there. I mean, some of the big podcasters doing Rich Roll does his retreats. I've got friends who'd run retreats. A lot of them are based around, you know, yoga and breath work and the like. Probably won't be doing any of that, to be honest, on my little thing if it ever happens. And to be honest, as with most of this stuff, I probably won't really do it unless I can add something that's slightly more interesting or unusual because there's a lot of stuff which ticks the same boxes out there but it's a nice thought right now you know the venue is going to be pretty important for one thing but yeah bit of a conversation that's ongoing if it leads anywhere I'll keep you posted but like let me know your thoughts on this idea email me at podcast at we are looking sideways.com or um, you can direct message me at We Look Sideways over on, on Instagram. So thanks to everybody who sent me kind words about the Active Minds podcast I did the other week. I'm being asked to do more and more podcasts at the minute as a guest, which is really fun. I'm always very grateful when people are interested in hearing my story. Um, and yeah, Active Minds seemed to strike quite a chord, which was which was interesting. So if you enjoyed that, there's more episodes up there now, including with DJ Barbecue, Sean Lee and others. And I think if you enjoy this show, you're going to also enjoy that one. So go and check it out. Active Minds. It's on the usual platforms. Go and have a gander. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I will be back soon. Nice one. Mm -hmm.